Hello, my name is Ashley Balin, and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I've applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. So before I introduce my guest this week, I just want to take one second to thank everyone for listening this season. This is the last episode of season one, and I'm so grateful for the support from listeners. Honestly, when I launched, I truly thought a few dozen people, mostly consisting of friends, family, and clients, would tune in. I'm shocked at the number of people that I don't know that have been subscribing and reaching out, so a huge heartfelt thank you. We're recording now for the second season, which will likely launch in September. I still have so many things that I'd love to discuss relating to kids and dogs, from sleep training, anxiety, safety, playground and dog park etiquette, and much, much more. But I want to hear from you too. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please email us at info at meetyourmutt.com. Okay, so on today's episode, I chatted with Jay Field. He's the principal of Tamarack West, an outdoor elementary school based in Toronto. We explore the countless benefits of bringing learning outside a controlled environment for both kids and dogs, including confidence building, risk analysis, honing executive function, resilience, and alleviating anxiety and hyperactivity. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Hi, welcome. Thank you again for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, So let's just start with your name and what you do professionally. So I'm Jay Field and uh, I uh, run an outdoor elementary school called Tamarack West. And are you connected any way with the overnight camp? No, I don't know. I don't know it. I mean, I didn't. um, I've heard of it since opening the school that there's another um, that there's a camp or something out there. But, yeah, uh, there's a, like an, over, an overnight camp called Tamarack. That makes sense. I mean, it's a good good name. <laughs> what, what, what does Tamarack mean? Well, you know, I, I just was, I can remember when I was trying to figure out what I was going to call the school, I I, uh, I thought I should name it after a tree. And I think that's partly because of other pla- other uh, camps and stuff I just knew of. So I And I thought of the Tamarack because it's at the uh, end of the tundra. I think it's the last tree before there's no trees. It's a really resilient tree too. Plus it's also, I think the only, um, like fur, uh, the only fir tree to, to shed its uh, needles in the winter. 
Interesting. I know so little about trees. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Me too. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's actually embarrassing. Like I, I tell the difference between different flowers by what color they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to me, like all trees are basically the same, unless, yeah. like, if, except for the fact that they have different color leaves. That's funny. So that's, no, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then I put the West in there just cause I, we were in the West end and I, and again, I, it just, it was very, it, I didn't put a lot of work into the, to the, to the thought, like a lot of work into the name. And then I just did a quick search. Like you have to, you know, clear it. Yeah. Right? And I did that. And, but it didn't come up as I didn't realize there was anything else called Tamarack, but I wasn't surprised when someone told me cause it's, you know, it makes sense. Right. And you have, you have kids yourself. Yeah. And how, so how many kids do you have and how old are they? I just have one eight year old. Uh, okay. who started at the school when I started it. Like he, he was in JK at the time. Interesting. So it was part of the, the inspiration for launching your school to be to like create an environment that you wanted your own child to go to? Uh, yeah, I'd say like 99%. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I I think that after we record this podcast, I'm going to have to have a separate conversation with you because I'm I'm in the same position. I have a two and a half year old. Oh, so I've been thinking a lot about kindergarten recently and I haven't been able to find an environment that I think is like perfectly suited for what I'm trying to find. So I, I totally understand, you know, starting a school just to kind of create that environment that's ideal for you because I've been having crazy thoughts about opening my own school and it's not even something that's like on my radar. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. And do you, so uh, just because it's pertinent to this podcast, do you have any dogs? I do. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. great. How many dogs do you have? I have one dog who's just turning two on Tuesday. And what, what breed or breed mix? He's a, yeah, he's a Labradoodle, but he's he's all lab, except he's tall and skinny. But he's, so he still sheds. Yeah, he sheds like a – he sheds cr crazy. And he, there's no curl. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he's, a, he's a lab completely, but he's tall and skinny for a lab. He's, he's really – yeah, he's unique that way. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. usually people get Labradoodles because of the fact that they're a little like they're lower shedding than a typical lab would be. But I guess you didn't win out in that department. No, that was exactly what I was. I was going to get a rescue dog, and I thought, no, I should get a, a hypoallergenic one for the school because it could be it could be like a mascot. And then we got this one. My son picked him out, and uh, and he, like he sheds, he's everything. He's not hypoallergenic at all. But you know, we adore him, so whatever. Yeah, so, you, so you ended up with your your mutt. He just wasn't a rescue. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> and we and I walk him like we walk we walk two three hours a day in High Park every day. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. You must have a pretty happy and well behaved dog then. Oh yeah, he's he's awesome. He's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So let's just start with basics, like one hundred and one for people that are unfamiliar. What exactly is an outdoor or forest school? So, so the reason we didn't call it a forest school is we don't adhere to the forest school paradigm strictly. And the reason we didn't call it like I, I specifically chose outdoor school because we're just out of the school. We're out of the classroom a lot of the time. And uh, and so in, in out like so our model is not um, the standard model. It's just it's just what we decided to do. And so they spend half their day um, outside, either in a park like High Park or they're downtown uh, visiting, you know, a museum or something like that, um, or there's something in the community. And then they spend half, the other half of the day at back at uh, the school. We have a school up at uh, near Runnymede and Bloor. 
Okay. And you know, besides the obvious benefits like physical exercise and fresh air and, you know, being exposed to new stimulus. What are the advantages for elementary school children to be in an outdoor school environment as opposed to a traditional school environment? I think, I think like, I think the, well, I mean, like what you said, there's huge, right? The, the, the just being exposed, like the thing I've been actually thinking about a lot lately is the, the development of when you have this ability to look into distance, great distances for hours at a time in a day, I'm curious how that works with the, the development, like the, the uh, cognitive development of kids, as opposed to having a very short view of like a wall for the whole day. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're yeah, in a classroom, no, I, I you, can, totally get it. you can only look yeah. like 20 feet, whereas these kids are looking, they, they just have, there's no limit to what they can see because they're in the forest or, you know, they're, they're, they're out there. So that's one thing I've just been thinking about. And then there's the exercise, but also it's a lot of play-based learning. And I, the, more I, the more I watch kids playing, especially during the lockdown when they're playing a lot more online, let's say they're playing Minecraft with their friends or whatever. Um, but, but more to the point is that they, this idea of play-based learning, I think is really great. It's just such a, it, it makes everything you're learning have some sort of like a reason to learn. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a practical reason for the knowledge as it involves it is involved with the game and also there's problem solving and there's working together and we do so with so much opportunity for games and play when we're outside um i think that's a huge part of it too and 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 then the experiential learning that we do outside too because we have to get creative how are you going to deliver the, this this sort of curriculum outdoors without it being just them sitting and learning and that that wouldn't that you might as well be inside in a way you get what I mean? Like it needs, yeah, to be, yeah. it needs to be active and it needs to be, it needs to be worked into what their surroundings. It needs to, to fit in with what we're doing outside. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been looking a lot into outdoor schools, you know, both for this conversation, but also, yeah. you know, as I said, as I start to kind of research options for my toddler and there are a few things that really stood out to me. And I was hoping that, you know, you might be able to provide a little bit of insight as to how going to a school like Tamarack West would promote, you know, certain desirable traits in developing kids. So I just wanted to kind of ask you about certain traits that I read a lot about and see what like your insight on those things are. Sure. Uh, you know, the first thing that I read a lot about was how outdoor schools help to promote empathy quite a bit. And I was curious to know how an outdoor school environment might help to promote empathy in young children. Right. Well, yeah, we spend a lot of time on 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 that and and other sort of aspects of emotional intelligence, um, and we, you know, and, and that sort of idea of of how the kids can work together. And I think the the ways we do that, and the ways the ways that any outdoor school would is, you're you're in nature, and 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 so we have three ideas, three R's that we talk about when we're at the school: respect yourself, respect each other, and respect your environment. That's all. Everything that's everything else is that's everything falls under that umbrella. So there's no rules. There's no, you can't do this. You, you know, it's more like, how is this respecting yourself? Is this respect? And so in that regard, you've got, you've got your friends that you're, you're learning to, to, to work with, but you also have your environment that you're learning to work with. And, and it's constant. If you step on, on a young plant shoot, <laughs> you kill it, right? It's pretty instant. And, and that's not to say they can't step and run around, but there's, there's an interaction that happens that, uh, where you're constantly being checked, to, you need to check your awareness of what you're doing and how you're influencing your environment and the people around you and yourself. And I think that that is a, a real key to, to, you know, developing empathy. 
um, as, as an example for, for that. Yeah, you kind of just touched on it a little bit, but the next thing I was going to ask you about is resilience and, uh, and risk-taking. Is that, you know, when you're in like a, a traditional school environment, it's obviously, you know, you have far more control over that environment and, and what enters it and what the children are exposed to. And when you're outside, you have very little control over what the kids are exposed to. So I'm curious to know how that experience might help to, you know, improve their resilience uh, and also whether the risk taking is beneficial or if it's a it could potentially be a safety issue. Yeah. Well, it depends. That's a really great question. And I, I you know, for sure. So in, in, in just a direct answer. Absolutely. One of the big things about the school is we we encourage the, the, the kids to take risks and and to and we see that as a way of building their resilience. And the resilience is constant. They're, they're, they're like the challenge to their resilience is constantly there because through anything we're doing, we're outside. There's just a, there's always something comes up. The weather the there's a there's an obstacle in your way when you're walking i mean they're just it's endless right they're always having to negotiate their environment and uh and and then there's like they want to climb a tree they want to play in an area that might have glass we're not asking them to, to we wouldn't let them just jump in and do that but we we would look at the area and we'd assess the risks as a group and the kids learn how to see something go oh we shouldn't play right here there's glass there you know we could get cut let's play over there and and so it's giving it's putting on a lot of the time we use these opportunities to give them the tools to assess risk. So this isn't about taking risks that are going to hurt them. It's about taking risks that 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 are, are are mitigated because they can assess and and then draw conclusions of what's a safe risk, like to to climb a tree, uh, how high. And we then we have our own rules or our own guidelines for our own sense of safety that that we have. So we have sort of a limit how high they can climb. That limit isn't is not like a great limit. It would be we always say, you know, if you're with your parents, keep going for sure. Do what you want, but just because we're a school and and you know, I don't know. That's that's a tricky thing. But yeah, so we try to we're obviously always trying to mitigate risk, but we're also always encouraging them to take take chances, to fall for sure, to you know, to trip, to to maybe you know, I don't know. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, but what's what's interesting that you just said to me that really stands out is that the kids are involved in that conversation. Is that, you know, my experience with school, and I'm sure it's, it's different at, at, in every school, is that usually it's understood that people, that the adults that are in like an authority position, you know, whether it be the principals, the teachers, whoever they are, they, they tell you what the limits and boundaries are and you're just expected to follow them blindly. So I guess like what you're saying is that so that the kids understand the risks so that they have the ability to be able to problem solve and make their own choices, they are involved in the conversation about assessing whether something it is a risk that should be taken or not. Exactly. And, and then, then what can we do to mitigate this? Like there are times where we might, uh, they might ask a teacher, like there's a bit of glass here. This isn't safe. What can we do? And the teacher, that might be a moment where the teacher has a shovel, let's say, that's just in theory and can pick it up and throw it in the garbage. And now they've assessed it again and it's fine. Like they, they learn there's a, there are solutions. And sometimes the solution is just walking away. And sometimes there's something you can do to help mitigate that risk. And, and, uh, and, but it's interesting, too, because it, it depends. Like the, as an optical, for the optics of it, it doesn't always read that way. I've, I had a parent once say to me, you know, you, I saw them playing 
near glass. And I was like, yeah. And I, then I, you know, I had to talk to the teachers and we had to talk to the parent and explain to them that, you know, there was some glass nearby, but they'd all recognize where it was and they weren't actually playing near the glass. They were playing over, you know what I mean? Like they, they were all aware of it. And so it was considered a safe place and where they were at that point in relation to the glass. And I guess, so that's what I mean. The optics of it can be kind of confusing to people. Sometimes people will be worried too. It's how we let the kids go quite far. They can, as long as we're in eyesight, they can run off. Like we want them to have some freedom and we want them to have some sense of, of their own like responsibility for themselves. And that grows with each age. Like the JKs is very different expectation and, and relationship than it is with someone in grade five. Of course. And yeah. And so that's there too, but it's, it's an interesting thing. While we're talking about, it, I'm like, it's funny to me that there's, it's what we do is very clear and it's, and it's very clear with the kids and the, and the teachers, but sometimes it can be as an optic to watch it. You're like, wow, that's what's going on there. And, and that's, I don't know why I bring it up, but it's sort of, I, I've always found that. It, it is. It's fascinating. And I guess it's also that we've, you know, we now live in a society that, you know, does, you know, encourage helicopter parenting to a degree. And I think that it's very abnormal to see parents allow their children to explore their environment without kind of like sports casting their experience. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. That's what's true. <laughs> but you know, and I don't, I don't like, this is one thing I do. We do at the school that I, I, I mean, and, and it's funny you say helicopter parenting because I hear that a lot too. Right. And I, you know, I, I understand there's a lot that goes on with that and a lot, but, but one thing we do, we really encourage parents to be involved and, and, and parents who are, you know, concerned to, to, to voice their concerns and, and to talk about it and, and solve that, that like find a, a, an answer to it. Because and if we, there's not like a, we tried very quick, like right when we started the school, I was really clear and made sure the teachers were on board with us. There's no, there's no rolling your eyes, judgment, like no, no, you know, sort of, what do you call it? Um, <clears throat> commenting on what a parent is, like they're a helicopter parent or they're not or whatever, right? It was any any input any feedback is good feedback it's these people know their kids best so anything we can get from them is amazing and if we can take it that way then we're we're probably always going to be working well together rather than being like oh these people they're too protective or these people are this or that right because often i found parents can be kind of like concerned about something we're doing and we and we're very clear like i i try to have like very open conversations with parents about what we do how they come for like they come and visit and all that but they might see something they're concerned about. And, and the reaction is always like, that's a great point. Let's talk about it. Right. And let's, and if there is a risk there that we aren't, maybe we aren't mitigating it properly. Let's like, let's have that conversation rather than dismiss it. You see what I mean? Of course. And I don't think there's anything more valuable than having a school community that has high parent involvement. Oh yeah. You know, the, the schools that seem to suffer the most, regardless of you know what the academic structure is, are the ones where the parents are not involved. Yeah, that's a great so, game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you were talking about, you know, again, the risk taking and problem solving. And it, it made me think a lot about, um, you know, the importance of learning executive function. Right. And, you know, I think that that's something that is not prioritized as often as it, it should be, not just in a work environment, but, you know, in, yeah. well, in relationships and in, in everything. Yeah. And it's something I think about a lot, both as it pertains to like kids and adults, but also dog training. Yeah. So, you know, having the ability to plan and prioritize and troubleshoot and negotiate and multitask is so integral to every aspect of your life. 
but it seems to be something that a lot of people struggle with. And, you know, whenever I'm working with a new client, I always encourage the dog owners, you know, to allow their dog to process, understand the why behind the behaviors being requested to problem solve. And that teaching a dog to have these tools to make good choices is really valuable as opposed to just blindly following direction. And I think that once, you know, once dog owners understand that and they're able to implement it and take that time and, you know, use that patience, then the dog ends up learning how to make good choices and ultimately they become calmer and happier and more well-balanced. And I guess I would, this little rant is more just like, do you think the same is true for children? Oh yeah. I mean, I love that you're, you're using the dog training because I found the opposite. I was, I'd been learning so much about these ideas of how to, raise kids and then it really it translates on how to deal with people like just how to relate with people and and then when i got the puppy i was like i can't i can't get mad at this puppy i can't like i gotta figure out how to work with this animal the same way i work with my child and the same way that we work with the school kids like it has to be positive and it has to be respectful and and executive function like these ideas like this this is an animal that's got to be able to make decisions and, and like i think you're bang on and and yeah to but, you know, that's exactly what we're, we're looking for with the kids, giving them autonomy and, and independence and confidence like that. The more decisions they make, the, the more confident they are. This 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 is such a strong relationship as they go forward. Yeah. And I mean, that's what inspired me to do this podcast is, you know, I've been working with dogs now for over 10 years. I'm a professional behavior consultant wow. and I just had my kid two and a half years ago. Yeah. So I'm kind of coming from the opposite perspective <laughs> than you, that you've had your kid for eight years and now you just got a dog and you know, I'm the reverse, but yeah. you start to realize how many crossovers and similarities there are. And it's just astonishing. Yeah. It's I, I agree with you. So I mean, I've heard people like sort of shoo shoo this idea of, oh, dogs are nothing like kids. And they're so similar, especially at the younger age, right, where you're and that and that a dog is a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Right. And then you're and then I love the I love that. I love that you start to see it. Then it's like, well, with dogs and it must be that way with adults. Like I, that was another leap I found was I from from having a baby and, and up to about two that the, the immense patience and and recognizing this person's completely vulnerable. You, everything that's happening, you've got to be cool with. You've got to figure out, you know, like you've got to learn how to negotiate your own emotions and make sure that they're being supported and all this sort of stuff. And, and then how that works, like maybe that's the same with adults too. Like if someone's going off the rails or someone's having a bad day, like maybe it's helpful to just point that out to them. Or if someone's coming at you, try to figure out what's wrong, what they need instead of yeah. you know, reacting. And kids, that's, you want to know what they need. That's it. Like that's the bottom line. If someone's having a hard day or something's going on, instead of being like this kid's being bad or whatever you want to, it's just what do they need? What is happening here that's not being met? And well, there's there's a, an expression that I heard once, and I, I wish I knew who said it so I could attribute it to the right person. That was, you know, your kid is not having, you know, your kid isn't giving you a hard time; they're having a hard time. Yeah, that's so good. And. Yeah. It, you know, then I think the same is true with dogs as well Is they're not intentionally being stubborn or trying to piss you off. They have no idea what, you know, what you're expecting of them. And everyone's just getting frustrated and anxious and like escalating and it's turning into a nightmare. And if everyone could just step back and recognize how to meet everyone's needs, then everyone would be very happy. Yeah. And that's such a great, it's so true. And it, it, and that's why that's, it's such a great comparison because it's the exact same emotion. It's, it's that, that feeling like this, 
that idea that someone's trying to manipulate. Like I hear people saying, oh, these kids, that kid's manipulative. And I think, well, how can you possibly put that on someone? What, that's such a terrible way to look at it. It's, it's probably that this kid needs something. And how they're trying to meet that need or get that need fulfilled, it, it doesn't matter. They, 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 we need to identify that need. And, you know, that's, that's not number one. And I love that comparison because, you know, clearly, like, you can get so frustrated with a dog. But it's, it's again, it's the dog's just, there's something they need something going on right and and manipulation is such an interesting term too because like at its core all manipulation is is learning how to get the outcome you're looking for yeah right so if if you have been taught that performing a specific behavior or saying a specific thing gets you the result that you want then why wouldn't you repeat it over and over exactly and why put a negative connotation to it i mean if that's if you're trying to get what you want or, you know, or what you're succeeding every single time. I would think that's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it, it's so interesting. Yeah. So just back to the outdoor school concept for a second. So, you know, when you live in a location that has four seasons and, you know, some extreme weather conditions, it's sometimes difficult to find the motivation to get outside every day. Like I know with, with my dog training clients that they'll admit that other than, you know, really short potty breaks that their dogs in the winter or when it's raining have very limited exercise or any outdoor time at all. And they're, you know, pretty resistant when I try to explain the numerous reasons that getting outside every day, regardless of weather is crucial for like their dog's mental health. Yeah. And, you know, do you, do you find that parents are also, you know, do you hear a lot of concerns or complaints or worries about their kids being exposed to extreme weather conditions or the elements? Sometimes I would say that there's, there can be, um, there can be some concern, but that never, it doesn't last. I would say like, what I mean is, you know, if we have parents, there could be a cold day or a set, like winter's coming, let's say. And there'll be a parent who's like, oh, I'm really concerned about this or that. And, and we really, we spend a lot of time, we'll talk to them, we'll explain the steps we take to, to sort of make sure the kids are okay. And, and that there's an option to leave. You know, we're, we start every day outside and there might be, there are times sometimes where, you know, a student shows up without the right gear, let's say, or they're, they're, they, for some reason, something goes wrong, they, they, like their gloves get wet and they, we, the extra gloves are wet and we'll leave. Like we're not a survival school. It's not. <laughs> it's not meant to be a miserable experience, right? But, but we do so much to try to 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 work with them to learn how to stay warm in that environment, or to learn how to stay dry, or learn how to stay cool. And so, the the idea is that you they will learn this, and 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 throughout there are going to be blips. There might be a day where we go back earlier than we w- would like to, um, but that's okay because it doesn't. It, there is no success or fail. It's just a constant. Like it's con- it's an evolution, and then the parents uh, they see that very quickly. We don't know when there's never any long term concern. Uh, that's not true. There's some parents who consistently their kids will not show up on a very cold day, and that's okay. That's like their call, and I think that you got to be comfortable with what you do. And 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 they for them maybe they're they just they they aren't comfortable with the cold, and and they don't want their kids exposed to that kind of cold. And I think that that's a call that you got to make for yourself. I, but for, for the most part, the kids will be out. And the only, we've had one snow day since we started and maybe one cold day. And that's five years. And the snow and day was just... Also, like, I guess the parents that choose to send their children to a school like yours would probably be the types of families that were more open-minded to that type of experience. For sure. 
right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of acceptance before you even start the school, I would say, and a lot of a lot of similar thinking. But even par- I mean, we certainly have one or two parents who are like they're just flabbergasted, you know, <laughs> they come to the they come to visit in the middle of winter, they're like there's no way, there's no way this works. And they they're actually doing it. And they're like this can't be happening. And they they're still they'll talk to me 2 years later, they're like I just still can't believe that you know, my child is outside in this weather today. And they're probably thrilled that someone else takes their kid outside no. all day and they don't have to. <laughs> no, they don't hear anything bad. It's not like the kids come home and go, it was miserable. They've had a great time. They're building snow structures or they're jumping around. Like it's, and it's such a great, I mean, I agree with you. Then, you know, it's, they need it. We all need it. Like it's, it's, it's such a different life when you get that exercise and get that, not even exercise, just get outside, move, get the fresh air, you know? Yeah. The, the, the exercise to me is obviously a part of it, but it's not the most important part. You know, like, again, from my perspective, working with dogs, like I, I am a behavior consultant. I specialize in dogs that have more extreme fear-based behaviors. Right. So I work with a lot of dogs that have anxiety and aggression and reactivity and obviously getting regular exercise and draining that excess physical energy is important, but you know, especially with anxiety, it's often the result of boredom or lack of socialization or, you know, a lack of exposure to new environments and new stimuli. And once they start having that exposure and having new experiences and being outside and smelling new things and seeing new things every day, their confidence builds almost instantly and that anxiety starts to fizzle away. And I'm, I'm sure that, You've seen similar things happen with kids that suffer from any type of anxiety too. It probably helps to re- like release that excess negative energy. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. The the biggest challenges cross the border when we're back at the school than when we're outside, almost 100%. I mean, there are some kids who don't like being outside as much. So they'll be like my son. My son is like not an outdoor guy. <laughs> this is not, you know, this is not his natural. He'd rather be sitting inside working diligently on something, but he's been doing it for five years. And he, you know, we walk for two, three hours a day and it's not, he doesn't even mention it. doesn't even know that that's what we're doing. I mean, it's, so it, it, you know, the, the, um, it, not everyone's like that, but, but, but for the kids, for the most part, like 99% of the time, the only like where we will have more difficulties are back at the school. And, and that difficulties are like more like where where needs become harder to meet or or, you know, like a group of needs. Right. But but um, but outdoors, it's typically that that's just smooth sailing for the most part. And and that I think that's what you're talking about or speaking to is that 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 grouping and being outdoors and, and the exercise has something to do with it, too. But the, the, the sort of the freedom, the space, I just can't imagine when I think about it, the di- like the con the, to me the difference between being outside for three hours as compared to being in a small classroom for three hours, it you just have to put yourself in both environments and think how you would feel. And it's yeah. no, it's 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 really interesting because you know as an adult who does have a lot more impulse control and self awareness, like I I have difficulty sitting in front of a computer for two or three hours. Yeah. So. I couldn't imagine being four or five or six years old and being asked to like sit at a desk for an extended period of time. Yeah. That would drive me crazy. I know. And do you not remember when you were a kid? Like I, I just can yeah, remember staring at the clock. Yeah. It was a nightmare and it didn't have to be. It was like, it didn't even, you know what? It didn't even matter what you learned. This is the other thing. Like we, we do a lot of curriculum. We, we, we work off the, the um, Ontario curriculum and we, 
do do sort of like and we go well beyond it especially with sciences and stuff like that but but uh, but the the bottom line is we just want them to learn to learn and we want them to have a, a fascination and a curiosity and the confidence and these are not built <laughs> by 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 just pushing it into them as they sit and stare at you I mean, it is. It can work that way, and it does work that way for some. And I'm, I, you know, I don't mean that as a criticism for that method, that that sort of paradigm. But, but it's not the only way, and I don't think it's the best way. I mean, I think there's so many ways you can achieve that. Right, and obviously, you know, every child learns differently, and exactly. like, but I think that if you set a foundation for curiosity and an interest in attaining knowledge then it ends up setting you up for success for the rest of your life. And I just don't think that some kids get that true curiosity when they're in more of like a stale traditional school environment. And, you know, like I'm lucky that I I somehow maintained that imagination and curiosity and I have a love for learning, but I know that school had nothing to do with that. (laughs) So like, you know, I was miserable throughout all of school and I wish something like your school existed when I, when I was that age. Oh, same. I was kicked out of so many schools when I was a kid, everything. But you know what? It was when I was starting this, I realized the one place where I never had any issue was uh, overnight camp. I went to a, uh, an overnight camp in Georgian Bay for like three, three and a half weeks a, a month, like for three and a half weeks every summer. And it was uh, it was it was like I started when I was seven. We didn't even have counselors living in the cabin with us. It'd be like six, six or seven kids. <laughs> you know, going to bed and then and counselors around and stuff. But and it was I loved it. And there was no issue there. And I thought, why? We were learning stuff there. We were doing stuff. Why was that so easy? And and school was so hard. Do you know what I mean? And and it's true. Like I, I personally didn't like overnight camp either, which is for a whole other right, slew of right. issues. But they're not all crazy. Most of, but most of the like most of my friends from when I was younger had such rich experiences at summer camp that the friendships they've held on to into their 30s and 40s are with those camp friends that they only saw for one month a year versus the school friends they saw for eight or nine months a year. Yeah, because there's a bonding that goes on when you're outdoors and, and, and when you're in that environment. Because also the other aspect of this whole like paradigm, they have so much oral practice they talk they're always talking they're walking constantly they're talking they're talking with each other they're talking with the teachers there's a there's a moment where they're they're learning something they're they're, they're, like we could call it a lesson the teachers are sort of giving them some some information and then and then getting them into groups to work together whatever but 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 in that all that time there's tons of there's so much time for for dialogue and and that's that to me is where you're bonding that's that's also and then and then that's also how you can you're practicing what you're thinking. You're thinking things out loud. You're, you're, you're working them out. You've got, you've got mentors and you've got peers and you know, it's, it's happening all at the same time. It's not like be quiet. That's the other side of it is there's, there's very little amount of, there's very like in the day, they're not being told to be quiet for 90% of it. They're being, you know, there's parts of it where they're kind of expected to listen a bit while the teacher's talking, like this kind of idea, but it's like chunks of five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, and then there's like burst open again and talk about it and do stuff. And, and, and that's why, I don't know why we don't see that also as being necessary. Right. It's like a far more positive, encouraging environment as opposed to being more punitive, I guess. Well, and and yeah. And also like how often when you, when you read, like when you're that age and someone's giving you information, how long can you sit there and take it before you need to feed it back and, or, or just get it out, like stop talking about it for a bit. Like they, even 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 now in my mid thirties, I still can't listen to the same thing for more than five minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to absorb it, right? And and you can see them. They they that's the other thing. They can run around while this is happening. They can pick up sticks and break them while someone's talking to them. They can be active still. And so that I think that allows them to be able to concentrate because they they're still their bodies can keep moving while they're listening. It's amazing right. what they retain. You think they're not hearing you because they're doing something, and then they'll come back and they have they have answers to questions and they they've heard it all. But, they no, but I, I think that that's a really important point because I do think that when your body is is moving and busy and able to fidget, that your brain can be a lot more focused and still. And, you know, it sounds almost counterintuitive, except I think that when you're focusing so hard on trying to keep your body still, then your brain's unable to focus on anything else. Yeah. And it shuts down. You, you know, didn't, I don't know about you, but I used to fall asleep in school all the time too, because it's just I'm so bored. I, I needed that action to keep engage the stimulus you know something and it's yeah it's so that's an interest i haven't thought about that but yeah it's, i think that's an interesting connection too you know i i have spoken to obviously it's you know the outdoor school concept of something that you know i am a supporter of but i have spoken to many parents that are weary of the concept and sure. they don't quite understand you know in their in their perspective or their view how like digging in dirt and climbing trees and playing with bugs or staring at the horizon yeah. or, or you know how <laughs> that's going to set their kids up for like post secondary success in science <laughs> or math or history yeah and I guess like, you know, we understand all the nuances, but what do you say to like the naysayers or do you have access to research or statistics that, you know, regarding the academic success long-term of kids in post-secondary that come from an outdoor school versus a traditional school? I don't, I don't have that kind of, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of research in that area and I don't know how much there is. And I know that for us, we are only five years into this, so we don't have necessarily that kind of information, but I would like my, my, so I, you know, I don't have that. I don't have that research. I know there's, I've read, I've read sort of uh, summaries of research right. that suggests that it's, uh, um, you know, you could like that. It's that it has a, a lot of positive um, ramifications for the future, for, for kids in the future as they grow and, 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 and and whatever, but my my question to parents when they ask that is, you know, what what paradigm is it that you're looking for, and what what is it that you think will give your kids hap- what do you want for your children? Because for me, this isn't there is no goal beyond this moment. There is no they can't be behind because there's nothing to be behind. If they're strong and they're confident and they can learn, then they are set. They, you can learn anything. I can turn on, I can go to YouTube and literally learn anything at this point. Well, I don't know, literally, <laughs> but you know, like a lot of things. And, and, but if I don't have that, if I, if like without that confidence, I don't have that. And I don't know, I guess I don't, I, that's part of one of the, my, one of the ways I think about this. And, uh, and then the other way I, I, we do really try to <laughs> try to have a very clear scholastic um, component here that, 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 that would with like so we do sort of do some um what do you call it uh testing we don't test at the school the kids are never tested really but we did this year actually start doing they they were like um sur- not surveys uh, assessments we started doing assessments and the kids were aware that they were there wasn't so much brought to them as an assessment or not we do worksheets all the time so they were doing them but it was a way that we could actually just be how are we actually doing our due diligence for these kids like we don't want anyone being left behind if whatever that means, but like it's, it's, it's complicated because yeah, I have a philosophy, but I also feel obliged. 
bothered me. What's that? I said that, that terminology, like that expression of being behind has always gotten on my nerves because behind assumes that there's a destination, right? Yeah. And what is, what is, what do you want? Does your kid have to go to Harvard to be a happy adult? What do you want for you? I just want my kid to be happy. I really don't care what that means. You know, I just want them to be, and I want them to not just be happy. Happy is like kind of fluffy. I want them to be curious. I want them to have a reason to get up in the morning and be interested and engaged and, and have a way to communicate and, and, and make sure that they're getting what they need, but also contributing to what others, you know, require. And, and that's what I want for them. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that that's right. And, and, but I, but what is it that people want when they start getting really into curriculum and success in school? Because I, you know, at this age, I don't know how much this really has an impact on, like in terms of doing well in school in grade three or four, does that really relate to how you're going to do, you know, in, in grade 11? And even then, I don't know. I, you know, it's complicated because I, I, I don't want to mislead. I, I do see the value in scholastics and we, we are, we're, 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 we're like diligent, you know, the kids like literacy, numeracy, we're really into it and, and science tremendously, but we go way beyond it because there's so much to talk about. And there's so much to investigate. And, and, but all we really want is like, if a kid's asking a good question, that they're there. You know what I mean? Like, that's amazing. It doesn't matter if they have the answer. That question is everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's the investigation and the curiosity. It's not the memorization of facts. Yeah. And, and why we, I think curriculum's important. I know there's some really amazing people who are out there in the in, in the in, and they are involved in the development of curriculum. I like. I don't think we need to bash what's out there. I think it's amazing. It, there's such good content. There's so many cool ways to learn and ideas, but but we we still need to follow their interests too. At times, like ours, the school we follow their interests every day. The teachers meet at the end of the day and they go through what interests have come up. Have we followed through on these ones? How did that go? What could we have done better? You know, like that kind of stuff. And it's. Because it, it taps into what they're interested in the moment. It's not catering. It's not like saying, well, let's just do that. It's still always bringing in new information, but it's also recognizing these people are individuals and they have interests. And why can't we connect these interests to, to the other ideas that, that we know are useful to know? Like it's, it's very handy to have strong literacy skills. It's, you know, it's, it's very handy to have strong numeracy skills, but you can achieve that without it being this big threat you know, like, oh my God, you better get a 95% on this exam or something. Why, why, why does it even have to come into that? Well, it also discourages the level of learning as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you're, you're learning to get a high grade on a test as opposed to learning for the love of learning. Yeah, exactly. Why is the mark even, it, and marks, you know, I did, I went back to school a few years ago. I wanted to become a doctor. Before I went to school, I thought I was going to go to medical school. So I went to, to Chang School at Ryerson. I started taking chemistry and, and physics and I loved it. It was amazing. And I hired a tutors because I was so behind. I didn't know anything. And I hired these tutors to help me. I'd meet with these people for two, three hours. They're like dental students, super high marks, right? I'd be like, well, why this? And they're like, oh, don't, don't worry about that. You don't need to know this. I'm like, but I got, I have to know this. <laughs> like they couldn't tell me. And I was like, but, but you've got like a 98% in this, in this course or something. Like, yeah, but you don't need to know it. That was always the answer, right? 
Yeah. And and I think that that's wrong. I think you do but need I to know. Think, I, I was listening to an episode of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he he did an entire episode about how to get a high grade on the um, on the LSATs. And people take entire courses on how to how to get the highest grade possible. And it has absolutely nothing to do with actually knowing the answers to all of the questions. Right. It has to know with how to give them the response it is that they're seeking. Yeah. Yeah. So you you can actually learn all the information, but it won't help you pass the test. That's so funny, eh? That's yeah, amazing. so it was fascinating. So he, you know, he delved really deep into it and actually learned all of it and took the test and failed. And then <laughs> he, you know, and then he took a specific LSAT test where the instructors basically said to him, like, you don't need to really know the answers to any of these questions. You just need to have a general idea of the types of information that they're looking for. So then when you study again, you're just studying answers to questions as opposed to learning anything. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, I mean, I would say that this is the biggest problem with these standardized tests is they're also that, that the, the teachers are teaching to the test. We all know this, right? It's not, not right. Some sort of big, but when you do that, you've now thrown everything else out of the window. You're, you're, that, that this is all just about getting a grade. It doesn't, it, the, the actual, what's been, what's been, uh, you know, absorbed isn't important. And it's, it's a shame. It's a really, that's, that's awful. You know? Yeah. And what the biggest shame I think is that it, you're actually discouraged to learn and explore outside the, outside the requirements of the test. Exactly. And then, and then, so if, if you're interested in this, if something comes up and you're interested in that, it doesn't get pursued. I don't know if you remember, but I, and we're probably different generations, but I had a, I remember math books, you'd open them and there'd be this little blurb uh history of how this concept like pythagoras came up and be or euclid euclides or, or you know like like the uh the moment where you know they, they discovered that displacement in the bathtub and they run down the street naked oh, i figured it out eureka or whatever yeah i would have loved more time with that i was interested but then also you turn the page it's like what <laughs> what's this and and i wonder why why it was so such a so little time was spent on understanding the why and the big picture of it it's just like okay here's a little blurb and now let's get into the details of it and you should know how to do this and you're like but what what just happened i understand vaguely what that little story was but why didn't we get into why don't we spend like two days on this yeah and, like i, I understand that was like a cute little story but how does it relate at all to anything that yeah, we're yeah this guy sounds really interesting tell me more and <laughs> but if we but that's what that, that relates to interest you know at that moment some people, some kids are interested and they can't, there's no time to focus on that. It's actually considered useless information. It's just a little blurb. It's nothing. It's not important even, right? Like, and yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like we could talk about this for days. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Um, okay. So before I let you go, there's something I like to do with all the people that are on this podcast that I always have fun with. Um, yeah. I want to read you an email from one of my clients okay. regarding a concern that they have about their dog. And I'd like to see how you would respond if we swap dog out for child. And okay. sure that I was writing to you. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. You ready? Yep. Okay. Hi, Ashley. I really love the idea of doing daily training exercises outside every day, as you suggested, and exposing him to new sights, smells, and activities. But we're in a really rainy season, and both of us are miserable after being outside for a few minutes. 
how can we adopt this training model and help to alleviate cadences, that's his name, uh, restlessness and anxiety on the days that it's unreasonable to go outside? Thank you. So let's say that you were talking to a parent who understood the benefits of an outdoor school philosophy, but couldn't attend either because of distance or financial reasons, and their child is typically anxious and hyperactive and gets really restless and demonstrates like explosive type of behavior if they're cooped up inside all day. Right. But she's saying that when they're outside in the rain, they're miserable. So like, what would you recommend in, in that type of situation? So... I guess the thing I would do, I would say, well, why, why are you miserable? You know, what, what is it about the rain that, that, that makes you miserable? And, and I would assume that, you know, it's, they don't like getting wet um, or cold or they think maybe they hear the sound of the rain and that just, just you know, deters them from wanting to even get outside. And I'd say, well, why don't you try, try, first of all, make sure you've got the right clothing. Make sure you've got gear that you're warm and you're dry. You're dry no matter what happens. And then why don't you go out and, and see, first of all, if that, that helps. And, 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 then, and then I would suggest finding places where, where you know, the rain maybe isn't going go to go. Can you get into the woods maybe where you're under trees? Can you make it a game to stay dry under different trees? Uh, um, these sort of ideas, I guess. I mean, but, but my, my takeaway would be, I think, you know, what you want to do is find a way to get outside in the rain because the rain is going to come a lot. It rains, it can rain 50% of the time, right? It can rain. I don't, you know, it seems to me it rains a lot. Um, and, and at least in Toronto and you, you know, your goal would be to get past this because you're, what you're doing is you're like, you're actually letting it become the, the, it's dictating how you live. And, and so for 50% of the time you're miserable because you, you know, or the dog's miserable or the kid's miserable or, you know, your child's miserable. And, and, and that you might think they're miserable when they're outside, but I've, I found that once you get them outside and you're going and, and if you're okay with it, they're okay with it. And if they're dry, they're fine. There's just no reason to be anything but. I don't know if that's a great answer, but this is sort of what I would No, well, you know what? Like I, my answer to my client is essentially the exact same. You know, obviously I want to preface this by saying that if we're just talking about the odd day here and there where it's like pouring outside and you don't want to go out, then you don't have to feel guilty about no, that. Absolutely. But if we're talking about living in a climate where it's perpetually raining or cold outside, then exactly what you just said. Most people that are miserable outside in the rain, it's because they're not actually prepared to be in the rain. And, you know, if it's raining, it means it can't be that cold outside. Yeah. So, you know, I'd highly recommend investing in like truly waterproof gear, not just for yourself, but like also for your dog. Yeah. Like some dogs hate the rain because they're cold. Yeah. And if, as long as they're dry and warm, then the rain in itself shouldn't be an impediment to enjoying your time outside. And, you know, also, although there are countless benefits to being outside and exploring nature, there are also many benefits to just getting like out of your four walls of your house. Exactly. So, right. So like, even if you're, if you really are truly miserable in the rain, then get into a car or get onto a bus or, you know, however you're going to get to a different location and go to a different indoor location. Right. Oh, that's a good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Just get, get, get out there. And that's right. so huge. I agree with you. Exposure and learning and socialization and observation and, you know, all of those different skills that you can only really grow and attain in different environments. 
Yeah. So, you know, there obviously there's not that many dog friendly indoor places that are available, but even if it means and, and obviously we're having a conversation as if we're not in a lockdown. Right yeah. Now. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course. but you know, in in on a you know, a regular day to day, you can, you know, you could go to different pet stores, you could go to different department stores, you could go to um you know, some malls allow dogs to walk around as long as they're not entering stores or food courts or whatever. And, you know, as, as silly as those suggestions might sound, taking a dog to like a new location inside where they're meeting new people and seeing animals and being exposed to the smells and different surfaces can make like a huge difference in terms of confidence building and, you know, anxiety reduction. Sure. So, you know, I kids, like if they're, you know, you might not have to play outside in the freezing rain every day, but you could take them to like on a field trip to like, you know, a, a whatever, like the museum, a planetarium, an art gallery, something. And that experience would ultimately probably be more enlightening than staying home. Well, not only I agree with you 100 percent. And that's why we, we do that a lot, too. We have days where it's just like they've been raining four days straight or three days straight. It's just people need a break sometimes. And and that's exactly it. Why not go somewhere? And, and actually, by doing that, you're getting in the rain. You're, you're kind of acclimatizing yourself to it because you have to get outside. You've got to go out in the rain to get to where you're going. And you're, it's changing the way you see rain. Rain doesn't have to be something that keeps you inside. Like you said, you can go to another place indoors. And, and by doing that, you're still kind of also in, interacting with the rain for a brief bit of time in, in that too. Um, and I think that's, yeah. You know, and I agree with you. There's, like, there's, there's so much value in being able to say sometimes, this is just a miserable day. Let's not go outside. Like, that's cool, right? Yeah, like I, I don't need to hang outside when it's raining, but I also <laughs> would go absolutely stir crazy if I was stuck in my house all the time. Yeah. So well, and I, then you know, if you've got a dog or or a kid, then you also you there's a different. It's like they need it. It's like that's that's the other thing. Like I don't yeah, know. They, they definitely need it for yeah. so many reasons, you know. But like even for as a, as an adult for your own mental health, if you have a dog and a child, they are going to be acting stir crazy and like you know, they're going to be overstimulated or understimulated and they're going to be like having tantrums and like ripping your house apart. So like you want to make sure that you can get out of the house to relieve yourself and your children and dogs of all of that stress. Absolutely. And that's, that's what that, the takeaway is. You're right. It's, it's really, it doesn't matter where you go. You don't have to be in the rain necessarily, but you do, you do want to get out. That's yeah. That's a great, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. I, been, I'm glad that we, I know we've been trying to connect for a while and I'm glad we were finally able to. And can you just tell me where people can find out more about you or your school? Oh, sure. There's a website, uh, www.tamarackwest.com. And that's, okay. uh, and then, then on there is contacts information and everything. Um, and people can, uh, like, it's very easy to contact me and, and then I, I'll answer the phone on a Sunday. Thanks again for joining me for the first season of Baby Puppy. If you're entertained by our show, please subscribe and share with other parents, dog owners, or anyone you think might appreciate it. If you're looking for some dog behavior guidance or want to add a dog to your family, reach out to us anytime at info at Enjoy the rest of your summer and we'll see you in September. Take care.